Well, good morning, you guys. Good morning. It is a good day to be here. I'm excited. If it's your first time, my name is Dustin, and I get the privilege of serving as the pastor. And so for me to you, welcome. Um, I'm glad you're here. Excited. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we love those here. We're actually about to get back into our series going through the book of Acts. So um, let me just quickly explain that. We're in a series that's called Sent. And the idea is that uh, we as a church would be very similar to the early church in the ideas as they gathered together, um, God saved people in their midst, but it was mainly because each person embraced the idea of being sent out into the world as they went and lived life. And so whether that be at your hobbies, your job, etc., that we would be sent into our community to see the gospel of Jesus go forward. And so we're doing that through the book of Acts. And so we'll actually finish that uh, this year. So we have about, just so you know, 18 chapters left and we have about 23 weeks. So uh, we did the first nine in about 25 weeks. So what that means is that we'll be covering a lot more scripture each time, each time. But like this week, starting in Acts chapter 10, the beginning of Acts 11 almost repeats the exact same thing we're going to read today. And so uh, we'll be able to uh, just recap that stuff sooner and then hop into what's next, starting next week in Acts 11. Sound good? Y'all good with that? Y'all ready to be uh, plowing through Acts? And so I've loved it. One of the reasons we love preaching through books of the Bible here is that um, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that I get to preach what I want to preach or I can uh, come up with an idea that Dustin thinks is a good idea, right? We learn that um, everybody's heart is sinful, including mine. We all need Christ the same. And so you guys don't need my ideas of what I think is good passages to preach. Rather, we need to be fed the word each morning, right? And so I think in our culture, it's become easy. And I think this is just true in general, but it's become easy for us to want to come to church to uh kind of be, um, get on an emotional high or, or something's going to happen huge in this hour that's going to propel you um, for the rest of your life. And, and that may be true, and I pray that happens, but more so in spiritual growth and what the, the expectations should be as we gather as a church is that we're gathering around the Bible, right? We're, we're not gathering just to see something crazy and huge happen. Um, rather, spiritual growth is going to happen just by being fed the word. Um, being fed the Bible. That's why we sing the Bible. That's why when we sing, if you notice, we try to sing songs that um, focus on what Christ has done and are about God. Um, we're not coming here necessarily just to get um, a, a, just a warm feeling in our heart, so to speak, but rather we need our minds and our heart fed by the Bible because that's going to sustain us. Amen. Um, tomorrow morning at work, your heart may not be so warm. You know what I mean? Life's going to hit. Something's going to happen. As we just sang, that's why I love that part in that song. It says, um, should this life bring suffering for I will remember what Christ has bought for me on Calvary now and forever. What that is saying is, is that no matter what's to come in life, whether suffering or the greatest blessings of your life, Christ going to the cross and buying us salvation for eternity is better than anything we could have on earth. Amen. And so that's what we need to be remembered daily. And that's why we not necessarily are looking to do the biggest, hugest thing and um, even have six flags over church. That's not our goal, right? Because if somebody gets saved through six flags over church, guess what you got to sustain them with? Better roller coasters next year, right? But what we want is we want people to be sustained and growing through God's word primarily, through singing of God's word and through community and relationships because that can sustain us, amen? That can sustain you through the ups and downs, through the valleys and the mountaintops. And so I was just thinking about that this week as to why we are so passionate about grinding through the Bible. And that's why, because 
the God's word is foundational and it can sustain us. Amen. Um, our emotions, people, things in our life, our job, they're going to be up and down and there's going to be hard times, but God's word won't fail us. Amen. Um, and that's what we want to be focused on. So here we go. Acts 10. It's going to be good. I'm excited about it. Um, let me pray quickly because we're going to cover a lot of verses. Um, there's some big ideas that we're going to cover here this morning, much of which deals with the Old Testament as a whole, okay? Um, and so uh, this morning, you may need to put your thinking caps on a little more than usual. Of course, I'll have an illustration or something to help tie it in, but um, I'm going to need your attention and help you to uh, help me think through this well so that we can understand this, so that we can do away with some misconceptions that maybe we didn't understand well about the Old Testament and how this works in the New Testament, etc. Because Acts 10 is a big deal for um, the church and a big deal of a, of a new covenant coming in for believers. So if you would pray with me, we'll pray quickly and then we'll jump into this passage. Here we go. God, we love you. God, we're thankful for who you are. God, we come to you now, God, praying that your word would, um, God, be something that we can understand. God, would you feed our minds this morning, God, so that we can understand your word, we can understand who you are. God, would you grow our knowledge of who you are and what you've done for us. And God, we pray this morning that you would challenge our heart with your word, God, that it wouldn't just be something we know and something we understand, but something that um, gets in our heart and rearranges us and changes us so that it causes us to live differently. God, grow our love for you, God. Help us want to live a life that is in obedience to you through your word. God, we love you and we pray that your word would change us this morning in Christ's name. And everybody says, amen. Now, quickly, how many of you would say there are some things in life that you probably need to see it to believe it? Did y'all say that? Okay. Um, quick story for me. Uh, when I was uh, summer going into college, um, my mom, I, I had no girlfriend, wasn't really interested in uh, any of that at that time. I was focused on sports and what I was going to do in college um, with that. And so, um, but my mom came and she's like, hey, this lady brought up that there's this girl that's going to the same college you're going to, and I think you might be interested. Well, as y'all know, when people try to set you up with somebody before you're married, it's just kind of awkward because it's like there's expectations. It's not natural. You know what I mean? And so I'm like, whatever, not a big deal. Well, um, kind of one of those deals where I'm like, if it's meant to happen, it'll happen. If I see it, I'll believe it type thing. You know, some people tell me this girl's cute and I didn't think she was cute or somebody thinks this girl's great for me and I didn't think so, right? And so I'd made it a few years. Well, one thing happened a, a couple days later after I'd thought about this, um, I get added by this girl that I thought was cute on Facebook, right? And so in that moment, I'm like, I can, I can start understanding what this means. I, I, I thought my mom and her friend had kind of drummed this idea up, but I didn't think that it was going to be good. But when I saw it come to fruition, it changed, right? And that girl ended up being my wife. I'm not telling y'all a weird story, okay? Um, ended up being my wife, okay? And so um, all from there, uh, she added me on Facebook. And like everybody does nowadays, if you're under 35, you probably met your spouse on social media before you actually saw them in person, right? It's just kind of how it works now days. Um, and so we hope that you meet your spouse in church, but if it happens on Facebook, it can be good. Okay. It was good for me so far. Um, so I say that because it was something that I had heard, right? But, um, it was something that I had heard, but I needed to see it to believe it. Now here's the deal. What we're about to read. And the reason I'm setting it up this way is that when we understand the old Testament and I'll get into unpacking a little bit of how we need to see that 
is that what's about to happen in this text, to, to forewarn you, is that the first Gentile, which is a non-Jew, the, non, the, the first person that is not of the chosen people that God chose to work through the previous thousands of years, is about to come to know Christ. Now, this is a big deal because in that time period, there is no way that Peter or any of the apostles would have believed that a non-Jew is going to come and get saved and know Christ without them seeing it with their own eyes, right? Or without them witnessing it and it happening. I can't express how big of a deal it is of what Peter's about to see happen when we read this passage because Cornelius, who's a centurion, as we'll read here in a second, is not a Jew. He's not of the people of God. When people thought of Christians or the now or what they thought of Jews previously, it's not this guy, okay? This is monumental for the church. Just so you know, most of us in here are probably Gentiles. We're Cornelius. We're not Peters, okay? We had, we are not of the Jewish race. We are not direct descendants physically. Like we can track our grandmas, 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 grandmas back to Abraham. You follow me? We're not of that line. We're from a different line. And so this is a big deal because this is where we see the full expression of God wanting Gentiles, non-Jews to get saved. Y'all ready? Y'all understand? Y'all with me still? Okay, great. Here we go. Starting in chapter 10, verse 1, this is what happens. It says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Let me pause there just so you know who this guy is. When it says a centurion, you can notice there that the first four letters is what? C-E-N-T. That's the same first four letters that is in the word century. What this means is that this guy was over 100 people. Y'all follow me? A century is 100 years. This guy was over 100 people in battle, and so that's why they call him Cornelius, and it's explaining to him as a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, which was a group of Romans, and that were ready to go to battle, okay? Now, the next thing we learn about this guy starts in verse 2. He was a devout man who feared God. With all his household, he gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God like a good God-fearing person would do. Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision, an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror. What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. All that saying is that God will remember your alms and prayers, just like for us. Verse 5. And he says, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. Let me summarize this and we'll get going in verse uh, 9. What's happened is, is you have this centurion, this guy who um, is not a Jew. He's over some of the Roman army. An angel comes to him and says, hey, um, you, you're having a vision. What is it, Lord? He's saying, you need to talk to this guy named Peter, and then the vision's going to come together, okay? So now we need to hear Peter's side of the story that'll match the vision of Cornelius. Y'all follow me? So the main two characters here in this story are Cornelius and Peter. So what starts in verse 9? The next day... As they were on their journey and approaching the city, so they're heading to the city, the, the people are, um, that Cornelius has sent to go get Peter. As they're approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. For us, that's about nine in the morning. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. So now Peter's falling into a trance while praying. And this is what he sees. And he saw the heavens opened. 
and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there a voice came to him, coming to Peter, and it says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. A lot of you good rednecks probably have posted this on your Facebook, not in context. <laughs> Verse 14, but Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean do not call common. And this happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Let me pause there and explain to you what has happened. Peter being a good Jew has not eaten things that God has said was unclean. God had a certain set of rules for the Jews, like uh, no tattoos, no don't eat this, don't cut your hair, right? Thousands of rules. You can go read the book of Leviticus of all the rules that they had, and Peter had tried his best to follow them. And now what's going on is he said, don't call something unclean that I've called clean. Now, this is just a foreshadowing of that's not to do with what you can eat, okay? Sure, this means now that we can eat pork and the Jews couldn't, but this is getting to a bigger deal, but why? Because God's about to bring to fruition the idea that not only don't call things unclean, but don't call people unclean that you have said were unclean, right? The dietary law points to something bigger, right? It, it points to the idea that now the Jews who were the ones that God was working through, he's now going to start saving these non-Jews called Gentiles, and we're going to see God's plan unfold in front of us. Y'all following me with this? This is why this is so important. We have to understand that it's not just about the laws. It's about something bigger. It's about God redeeming people for his glory to the ends of the earth. Verse 17, we're almost done. We're doing good. It says, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed, we would be too. If all we knew were the Jewish laws and all of a sudden God said, don't call that unclean to what you've called unclean and your grandparents did and their grandparents did and their grandparents did, you would be perplexed as well as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. He doesn't understand it. Behold the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. So these guys from Cornelius get there to Peter's house in verse 19. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. You remember why I just said some things you have to see it to believe it? That's what's going on here. That's why I shared that story right? It's because Peter, if somebody had not come to him in a vision and said, now you're going to go to somebody who's not a Jew that loves the Lord, you wouldn't have believed them either. We wouldn't either. God had to do something miraculous to get Peter's attention to even think about going to a Gentile that might get saved. Y'all follow me here? He had to see it to even think that it was a possibility. Verse 21. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. This wasn't some random vision. This was a guy that had good repute. Was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. So these men that he had sent are now with Peter, and now we're just going to read the last 11 verses. I don't want to share any of this or teach any of this or point, pull points from this without us understanding the whole story. So here we go. The next day, 
he rose and went that way with them. Just so y'all know, the reason this is happening over a couple days and not just over a couple minutes is because the cities where Peter and Cornelius were were about 30 miles apart, and they didn't have Yukons and uh, Tahoes that could run 60 miles an hour, right? This was walking, days of walking that it would cost them. And so the next day, he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. That ain't good. So what does Peter do? But Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up. I too am a man. He's saying, don't worship me. I'm bringing you good news, but I'm just the one who's bringing it, right? Check this out. When somebody who shared the gospel with you, we don't turn and worship their feet, right? You don't worship the preacher's feet. You don't worship the person that's giving you the message of Christ. They're giving you the message of Christ so that you will worship who? Christ. You follow me on this? That's what Peter's doing here, verse 27. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful, remember this is a law, it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not recall any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. He's saying, God showed me that I shouldn't call you unclean. Why did you ask for me? Cornelius said, could y'all imagine the light bulb moments? Y'all know what I mean by light bulb moments going off? It's like, holy cow, holy cow. Are you kidding me? That's crazy. That's what's going on between Cornelius and Peter. Verse 30. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Boom. A lot of verses, okay? Y'all plug through them with me. But we have to understand the story and the magnifying things of all this that's going on together. So what's the point of this text? What's the big point of what's going on, okay? The, the, the main point of this, of what he's showing and what we need to understand here, is that God's plan had never changed, okay? Think about this with me. We often think, and maybe you thought this way too, that in the Old Testament, nobody besides a Jew could be saved. That's not the case, okay? And follow me here. I'm going to make a, a good argument why we need to understand that, okay? It wasn't that only the Jews could be saved. It's that, that the group, that's the group of people that God had chosen to reveal himself to, to the world. That now is what Romans 11 teaches, is that is now the church, which is Gentiles and Jews. But follow me here. Another way we know that is because Abraham, who started the Jewish nation, wasn't even introduced until Genesis, what, 12. That's the first book of the Bible. So for 11 chapters, we have people of Adam and Eve, Noah, Noah's sons, all the way to the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, of people that weren't part of the Jewish nation, and Noah was saved, and so we know that people before the Jewish nation could be saved. You follow me here? And then you get into the Jewish nation, and God starts working through Israel, through, through those people. And what he's doing there is, is yes, he's using those people, but he's using those people to display his glory to everybody else. It's just the group he's using. Guess what that group is now that he's using? The church. Who's the church? Every person that believes in Christ, us. And so now he did use the Jews, now he's using the church. But follow me here. We know this through several people. Think about the story of Jonah. 
Jonah went to a city called Nineveh. Nineveh was not a Jewish city. And it says that the people of Nineveh repented and believed. So if they're not Jewish and they're getting saved, we see that not only Jews could be saved in the Old Testament, others could be saved too. And here's why it's important to understand that. If you go back to when I preached Ananias and Sapphira, we talked about this thing called the immutability of God, meaning that God does not change, right? God's not one way the next way, and one of y'all tick him off, and he gets mad and changes, right? We don't have the ability to change an all-powerful, all-creating God. And so what we see is, is that God, we could honestly question his goodness if he had only said a certain people of Jews would be saved. And y'all, for the longest time, that's how I understood that was that only Jews could be saved. But the difference is, is God was just using the Jews to have his glory go forth. Y'all follow me? The church, the ones in here, we're the ones that are saved because we believe in Christ, but we're the ones now that God is using. That's why Paul says we've been grafted in with the Jews of the Old Testament and the church of the New Testament. They've been grafted together, which is like a tree when you plant two trees and they come together and they grow and produce fruit. That's what the church is doing now. Now follow me here. There's a couple other ones, even Pharaoh. Think about the story of Pharaoh. He gets in there in Exodus 9, and he says this. He says, um, Exodus 9, 16, but for this purpose, I have raised you up, talking about Pharaoh, to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth, right? So even with Pharaoh and the Jews, when the Jews were under the Egyptian rule, he was still using the Jews and Pharaoh to get his glory to other people. See what I'm saying? He wasn't ever containing it. The how they worshiped was just different. And then you see the same thing when Solomon builds the temple, right? This is another great comparison between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They used to have to go to the temple to worship. And now all of us, because the Spirit was in the temple, now the Spirit lives in believers in the New Testament. We saw in Acts 2, if you remember, you were here for that. Now the Spirit lives in us and we're walking temples. We can worship everywhere we go. They used to have to go to the temple, right? God, how, how he's doing this is different, but he's just revealing more, okay? Follow me here for just a second. We see this with the temple as well. Solomon builds the temple, and in his prayer, I remind you, this is, not the, this is the Old Testament, right? This is before. This is his prayer. Remember, we're we're just establishing that not only Jews could be saved. Verse 32, foreigners, which would be non-Jews, will hear about you and your mighty power, talking about God. And some of them will come to live among your people of Israel. If any of them pray towards this temple, listen from your home in heaven and answer their prayers. Then everyone on earth will worship you just as your own people Israel do. Why did God have the temple put into place for them to worship? So that the Jews could worship? but so that also foreigners could come and worship. Y'all follow me here? Why it's so important we understand that God was dealing with the Jews and using the Jews, but the salvation was open to everybody else as well. They would just come and be a part of the Jews. Okay, I know this is heady, but you gotta follow me here. This is important. So what this does, and what I wanna do now for the next three points is I really want to see three things that we learn about God that we often might not see Um, correctly. Okay. Things, three misconceptions type things that we need to know. Three of them. Okay. Here's the first one. And then we'll get to the text and pull some application. But once again, we can't understand this without the grid, the big picture. Number one, God's plan for all people has never changed. When God created people, he didn't say there's just a few, there's just the Jews. His heart has always been for all people. And we see that he's always wanted all nations to be saved. He didn't start it one way and then change his mind. He's sovereign. He knew. 
People were never saved by the law, even in the Old Testament. Okay, I will get to this in a second. The purpose of the law was not for people to follow the law to be saved. It was for them to live differently so that they could show people how God's design would work so that it would be attractive to other people. Listen, this is one of the other beautiful texts this goes along with. Paul explains the same thing in Ephesians 3. He says, ultimately, this is going to come together. Ephesians 3, Paul says this in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery, which was not made known to people in other generations. Who's he talking about? The Jews. They only knew part of his plan. Because why? Because Christ hadn't even come yet. So they only knew part of it. So what has happened now is you and I are on the other end of it, and we understand the whole plan. We understand the mystery that's happened in Christ is what Paul is talking about. He made it known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, check this out, the Gentiles, Cornelius, that's how we get here. The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. This is Ephesians 3 verse 5. Heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Jesus Christ. This is important. Let me try to illustrate all of this because some of y'all are looking at me a little crazy right now because I've been going on trying to explain this, okay? But hear me out on this. Y'all know what we talk about when we do a gender reveal or a baby reveal. Follow me here on this. This is the easiest way to, to explain this. When my son Dax got conceived, he had the same DNA he does now, right? If they would have pulled it out and checked it now, it's the same person. But for the first 12 weeks, we didn't know much about Dax. So what did we have? We had a gender Y'all use that word, reveal, okay? Now, what we're seeing here is that now God is revealing the rest of his plan. So then what happens? We're, even when we know the gender, we're not completely revealed about my son, Dax. What happens next for us to be revealed a little more? He becomes born, and then you see him, and he reveals even more. Y'all follow me here? Now, has Dax changed in that time? Physically, yes, but is he still the same person? Absolutely. Has God's plan and how he has revealed it changed over time? Absolutely. But has God changed? Absolutely not. Y'all follow me on this? And so then Dax gets born and we get revealed more. And then Dax grows and we've been revealed more for about the last three years. It's gotten harder. <laughs> okay? And then what happens? Do we, are we still being revealed? Absolutely. I don't know what he's going to look like when he's 50. I pray I'm still alive and I do, right? But you're being revealed more about the same thing. That's what's happened in God's plan. Listen, if God was different, if the Old Testament, this is taught often in churches, you guys. If God was a different God in the Old Testament and changed in the New Testament, he's not God. And he's not worth worshiping. He has to be the same God and has to be immutable. He can't change or we're worshiping something that's not worth being worshiped. That's why all this comes together. Listen, this is why I'm passionate about us having some depth to why we understand what we understand because so often what happens is we just get a little bit. We understand Jesus down the cross and that's good, but that's not going to sustain our theology when hard things come, right? We've got to have some depth to this. It's why I'm passionate about it. But we get revealed more and more and more. And listen, the spirit is similar. The spirit's been the same way. A lot of theologians go back and forth on how the Spirit worked in the Old Testament versus the New Testament, okay? The Spirit had to work in the Old Testament. You can read it, Exodus 13, and the Spirit was in the temple. But we know at Acts 2 
God gave us a little more of the Spirit, right? That's when Pentecost happened. That's when the floodgates opened to the Spirit, and now the Spirit is in every believer. That's what sustains us. That's why we're able to keep choosing Christ. If it wasn't for the Spirit in you, you wouldn't be here right now because your flesh would choose not to be at church every time. You follow me? When we're walking by the Spirit, we're walking to do godly things. My uh, uh, opinion on that is we don't give enough credit to the Spirit. We're looking for the Spirit to do something crazy. That's not always what the Spirit's doing. The Spirit's just leading us in godliness. When you choose to be quiet to the person that's been mean to you, that's the Spirit working in you, right? That's the Spirit pushing you along, but we have to have an understanding. So what we see here in the first point, right, the first thing was is that God's plan has never changed. It's just been revealed differently. That's why when you see Paul refer to the mystery, it was a mystery to the people before Christ, but now it's not a mystery to us anymore. We have it all unfolded in the book of, or the Bible, right? And here's the best part, I'll end this point. We know the ending of it because of the Bible. John 7, 9 says that in the end, there will be every tongue, tribe, and nation gathered around worshiping God. And that's what's going to happen. And we're in the in-between. We're the ones working there. And God's going to save people that are going to worship him. Amen? The second thing that's never changed about God that I think is important we need to understand is that how God saves has always been the same. Right? Listen. It's so easy to think, and, and I know this is normal thoughts, but just hear me out on this, to think that people in the Old Testament were saved by the law. People in the Old Testament were not saved by the law. The law had a different purpose. The law was how they lived. Check this out. This is the argument you see. How God saves has always been the same. People have always been saved, what Ephesians 2.8 says, by grace through faith, right? Now, here's, hear me out. The people in the Old Testament were saved by grace, through faith, in the promise of salvation to come. David in the Old Testament was still saved by the blood of Jesus. The price just hadn't been paid yet. It was to come. You and I in here, we're not saved by a promise to come. We're saved looking back at the cross, a promise that has already came. It all culminates in the cross. People before Christ were saved by looking to Christ, and people now, us, were saved by looking back at Christ. He is always saved by grace through faith. One of the best examples from the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 12, it says that God credited righteousness to Abraham because he believed. Abraham wasn't circumcised till later. It wasn't works. It wasn't law. Abraham was saved by grace through faith just like you and I, right? We don't earn our way to heaven. We don't get better. We don't clean ourselves up. We don't ask people to act differently before they get to church. We let that growth be inside out. That's what happened with Abraham. Abraham didn't go get circumcised, get a bunch of laws to follow, and then God said, oh, good job, Abraham. Why? Because Ephesians 2.10 says then that would let Abraham boast. If you and I earned our salvation by cleaning up, that would give us the glory. He saves by grace through faith because that gives him the glory. And this is all set up for him, not for you and I. Think about this with me. In Romans 4, Paul explained this in the New Testament. So we saw it in the Old Testament with Abraham. Paul argues the same thing in the New Testament in Romans chapter 4. In Romans 4, he says, If in fact Abraham, remember Abraham was before Christ, was justified by works, he had something to boast about. But not before God, because what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Was it credited to him after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was circumcised. 
Paul is explaining that since the beginning, God has been working through grace by faith, and that's how it works. Think about this. Here's another illustration to hopefully help this make sense to you. I'll, I'll give you, if you didn't pay attention in sixth grade history class, here you go, because I'm going to use something from history, okay? At one point, there were people living on the East Coast of this area called the United States. It wasn't the United States yet because they weren't a country, okay? And what happened is, is people back then used a lot of tea, and Britain had a lot of say-so in that tea coming over. Well, what they did is, is they started taxing the tea like crazy. So why? Because they needed money. Britain needed money. They were trying to battle other, having other wars going on. Well, they started taxing the tea, and the people in America, you know what they said? That's fine if you tax us, but we need some say-so, right? That's where the, the phrase taxation without representation, maybe y'all follow me on this, okay? Um, some of y'all are happy about this. Some of y'all, are, I've already lost, and that's okay, all right? But what happens, okay? What happens then? They decide that they're not happy about it, so they're going to fight. Then you have the Boston Massacre, right? And uh, thanks to some other allies that came in and helped us, we were able to fight them, fight them off, and it ended up going, okay? It ended up it ended. But what they fought for at that moment is they were fighting in that moment for a future freedom. You follow me here? Just like the people in the Old Testament were saved by future sacrifice. You see this? Now... What happens is those people, they become a country, and we fight from freedom. You see what I'm saying? We look back on freedom, and that pushes us forward to say, I'm going to fight from it because it's already happened, and that's going to cause me to do that. Just like now, you and I, we fight from the sacrifice because we're on the other side of it. Are y'all still following me with this idea? It's important. People in the Old Testament weren't saved by works. Listen, if God made somebody get saved by works and then made somebody get saved by grace, then God's not the same again. Y'all see how important it is that we see this the right way. We have to see the same God all through Scripture. And if not, God's not the one that's changing. We have to adapt our thoughts and how we read Scripture and see it to how God works because God's the same and has always been the same and will always be the same. And if he wasn't, then we wouldn't be having a foundation that was a rock. We'd have a foundation that something came and it would wipe us out. Amen. Y'all follow me with this? Is that it becomes important that we see this. And so now, check this out. Just like we fought from freedom, we do things to remember that freedom. What do we do? We celebrate July 4th every year. Just like now, what does the church do? We celebrate communion. Why? Because we want to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And it's the same way. We don't do this, right? Um, the ordinary means of grace, meaning uh, communion and the reading of God's word and singing God's word, that's enough. We don't have to come in here and beg God like the ball worshipers did in the Old Testament to just do something crazy, you know, make fire come or whatever. No. What sustained the church for thousands of years is men and women who are obedient to Christ, who just want to obey Christ, who want to understand his word, read it. We don't have to do crazy things or ask God to do crazy things. He's given us all we need is what First Peter says for godliness. You know what that is? The spirit and the word. It's all we need. The Spirit's going to be our fuel, and the Word is the steering wheel, our God. And that's what we need for godliness. It's what we need. And so we see that the second thing is how God saves has always been the same. He saved the Old Testament people by grace through faith, and He's saving us by grace through faith. And it all culminates in Christ. The third thing, are y'all still good? Y'all follow me? I know this is, is bigger stuff, but once again, we can't understand the, the big deal of the Gentiles unless we understand this. Number three, God's people are still set apart just in a different way. God's people are still set apart just in a different day, in a different way, and a different day. That works too. 
It says in verse 12 through 16 in this passage that we were just looking at, one of the main things he says there is, rise, Peter, eat and kill. He says, I've never touched any of that. He says, but what God has made clean, do not call common. Don't call something unclean that I've now made clean. What does he mean by that? What he means by that is that the Jews had these laws to follow, but now they've been fulfilled in Christ. He didn't do away with them, right? But there's no more laws like that for us to follow. The Spirit now has written the law in our heart, and through the Spirit is how we know what to do. Think about this. There's, what was the purpose of those, those laws? Why, what's different in the Old Testament laws and the New Testament? Here we go. The first one is this. This is the purpose of those laws. I really think this will help make sense to you. The laws and sacrifices, remember this is before Christ, pointed to the ultimate sacrifice. So why did they have to uh, sacrifice a lamb before they went into the temple to worship? Because it was foreshadowing the sacrifice that was to come for them, which was the lamb to be praised for all eternity, which was Jesus. Y'all follow me here? So the, the laws and sacrifices pointed to Jesus to come. That's how they knew. Remember, they were saved by Jesus to come, and the sacrifices they made were to point to Jesus to come. That was the first reason. The second reason, the laws and sacrifices provided healthy boundaries for their good. That's how they, they knew what to do. Listen, things like we should wash our hands. That was four and thousands of years ago. But it's one of the best apologetics for God because God told them to do that before science had caught up. Why? Because God wanted them to wash their hands for their good so that diseases didn't spread. But God told them that because he wanted this group of people to live differently than the outside world. Why? Because them living differently was going to be the attractiveness that would cause God's glory to go forth and for other people, foreigners and other nations to get saved by them seeing Israel live differently, right? If the church doesn't live differently today, then there's going to be no difference between culture and the church. And then there's going to be no one getting saved. It's the same type thing. And the law wasn't bad for them, and then we do away with it. There's still things we have to do today, right? When we say there's no law, it doesn't mean adultery is okay. But what it means is that now those laws, the ceremonial laws that they had to do are fulfilled in Christ because their purpose was to point to Christ. And now that Christ has came, there's absolutely no purpose for it. But Jesus does uphold the Ten Commandments when he talks. But this is why David saw the law. The, the laws is a good thing. Laws were not bad. He said things like, I delight in the law day and night, and it made sense. Okay. The third reason, then we're going to get back to some easy application. The third reason is it sets his people apart. God's people are different because God is different. And so what the laws did is it made them seem different to all the outside people and everything that was going on. And so what does that mean for us now? What sets us apart now? The first law that they had sacrifices to point to Christ, we don't do that because Christ has come. The second one that we see was that now that they have been fulfilled, we see that the law is written on our heart. That's what Ezekiel prophesied about, right? Is that the spirit would come and now we don't have to follow laws and go to the temple. But he prophesied that you will receive a new spirit and a new heart. And so when we get saved now in this covenant, now that we're in the New Testament, God's spirit comes on us and that writes the law on our heart and we're able to understand what he's doing. Then number three, we are set apart because of the new heart and regeneration the spirit does in our life. So we don't have to follow all the ceremonial laws. We have the word to know and obey, and we have the spirit to provide wisdom and the fuel to walk those things out. Y'all follow me on this? Does that make sense? And how we see God, this is super important that we understand this. 
It's very cool. The Spirit coming is not a new thing, but Peter probably thought the Spirit was just for Jews. And so we're going to see in a minute that when he gets saved, it becomes absolutely crazy. And so here's what I want to do now. Now we're done with the heady stuff, and I got about 12 minutes to give you three applications from this text, okay? So here we go. Now we're going to apply this to us. The first thing we see from this is that we should walk in unity. What this means is that there's nobody that comes into Connection Church Athens that should look as an outsider. Listen, if Peter got over a Gentile receiving the Spirit, we can get over somebody a different color receiving the Spirit. Amen? If we, Peter can get over a Gentile receiving the Spirit, we can get over somebody making less money than us receiving the Spirit. Does that make sense? It's that if this barrier has been broken and Peter was able to do that, then we can now get over it. This Spirit is going to cause us to walk in unity. We didn't get to verses 44 through 48, but I want to read them. Starting in verse 44. It says, while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. That's the Gentiles. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. They're amazed that these people are receiving the Spirit. And remember, what did the people do in Acts 2 when they received the Spirit for the first time? They spoke in what? Tongues when it first came because this was a new thing and God had to prove it. It says, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. How did they know it was the same Spirit that had come earlier in the book of Acts? For they were speaking with them in tongues and extolling God, right? Think about this. This is so cool. God's confirming that the same Spirit that was eight chapters ago is now the same Spirit that is saving Cornelius. Listen, this doesn't happen. This is not a normative thing. There's a a, a section of Christianity that has come now to say that everybody who gets saved should speak in tongues. They call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's not true. This is not normative. This is happening just because a Gentile is getting saved, and they have to show that, yes, this is wild and crazy, but this is crazy, and we need to prove that this is crazy. And to show you that, yes, Gentiles can be saved, they're going to do the same thing that you did when you received the Spirit. Y'all follow me on that? It's that it's unifying for the church. It's why... Paul is so passionate about Ephesians 3 when he says that the mystery has been made known that now Gentiles can come in and they can be saved too. You and I are a part of that. Verse 46, for for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Just so you know, if you're familiar with that idea, what that's showing is, is that you receive the Spirit, you get saved and then you get water baptized. That's the order of events that happens here, right? You don't get the Spirit partially and then get baptized, and then you get baptized in the Spirit and speak in tongues. That's not the order of what happened here. They received the Spirit all at once, and then they got baptized, and that's what we see happen. And so then what happened in verse 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days, and so Peter hung out with them so that they could do that. The thing I'll say here is, is, Unity is easy when there's big, broad topics, right? Unity is easy when we say big, easy things for us to agree on. But what culture's done is it's basically caused us not to have deep conversations. Think about it. If we sit around and uh, we talk about the weather or how your week was and talk about general things, we're probably not going to get into a disagreement. But if you sat down with anybody in here for 45 minutes and talked about something like how much should we help poor people or how important is foreign policy, right? Or don't those things really kind of go together in politics or why can't the Braves get over 500? 
You see what I'm saying? Like you, you start combining all of this stuff together. And what happens is, is if you have a real conversation, there's going to be something in the weeds that you disagree about. Everybody in here, if we all did this. If we talked about real things, we would disagree about something eventually. But what we see here is that the spirit unifies us in a supernatural sense, meaning that the, the primary things that we believe about Christ should unify us and trump us over that other stuff. Does that make sense? We have to be able to put that stuff in its place to where it goes so that Christ becomes the center. And check this out. We don't get unified over that stuff by the preacher giving his opinions so that y'all agree with all my opinions. Maybe you agree with some of them, maybe you don't. I hope we agree about the Bible and the theology that it teaches, but the other opinionated stuff is not what's that important, okay? We're, because what that does is, is it causes our focus to go on our differences and in our opinions. The way we're going to be unified, the way that they were unified, is by their focus being on Christ and what he had accomplished for them. That's why the, the pulpit's never going to be a place for us to just discuss um, political things, right? That's not the purpose of it. The purpose of the pulpit is for us to feed the word of God to the sheep so that you don't starve out there and so that you can be encouraged so that we can go out and make a difference for Christ. Amen? And so that's what's going to cause us to be unified all together. It's not something cliche, but it's something that we have to understand. The last thing I'll say is that to be unified, we have to get over the little stuff. There has to be some sense of us understanding the bigger picture often. If you were here during the marriage conference, the guy there, he said something that was phenomenal. I think it applies here. It says, grace wasn't given to say that wrong is right. right? God didn't give us grace to run around and say, if you don't live by God's ways, that's okay because there's grace. That's not right. We, we don't just say everything's okay now because of grace. Grace was given because we can disagree and still love them. That's the purpose of grace, right? We can still love them and offer them Christ and salvation without agreeing with everything that they do. That's the purpose of grace. It gives us the mentality and the idea to love people well, even when there is that. It doesn't, grace doesn't make wrong right. It gives us the ability to love someone amidst being wrong. That's the purpose of it. And here's the deal. We can't say that anybody's too far or somebody different than us can't be with us. We can't love them because if Peter got over a Gentile being saved, we can get over the little stuff, right? Somebody hurt you 20 years ago because of something they did in high school or even if somebody said something, just a little sly comment last week, we unify and we see that Christ is bigger than that and we put that in the place it goes. And that is harder when we start actually applying that, amen? That's hard. But when we're going to be unified by the Spirit as a church and as a body, people aren't going to look at the church and be like, man, they argue over the dumbest stuff. Why would I want to be a part of that? But what happens is, is if we unify around Christ and what he's done in the blood of Jesus and we sing to him and we preach the word, then they're going to look and say, I want to be a part of that community. That's what I want to be a part of. The second thing we see in this is that we are called to go and preach. It's very simple, but look at what Peter does. You know, we talked last week a lot about evangelism. And we talked about how Romans 10 says, how can somebody hear the gospel and be saved if somebody doesn't speak the gospel to them? Y'all remember that? Well, the centurion hadn't been saved yet until, until Peter preaches the gospel. This is after all the visions. We'll pick up in verse 34. So what did Peter do? He assumed he knew the gospel. Even though he kind of knew the centurion and he was his neighbor, he assumed he knew Jesus. No, I'm, that's not in there, okay, if y'all weren't noticing Verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, neither should we. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. 
As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that proclaimed John, that's John the Baptist, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. That's for you and I. Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood for us on a tree. Verse 40, but God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. That's the gospel. It's what we're saved by. It's how they get saved. It says, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the anointed one by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. How are people saved today? How are you and I saved? Through believing in what Christ has done for us on the cross. That's how the centurion got saved in the next verses. The thing I'll say here, the quick application is that in that sense, when we're called to preach, we don't preach based on who we want to preach to. We are called to preach to everybody, right? I'll never forget this, but this is one thing I wrote down. If we have in our heart, well, that person did blank to me, so I'm done with them. We can't prove that attitude from scripture, right? We're called to go to everybody. Now, is forgiveness hard? Absolutely. If there's going to be times where we feel like saying that and your flesh wants to say that, but we can't say that. Because if God did, if, if, if God's saving a Gentile in front of Peter, we don't have any right to say I'm done with somebody, right? If, if Peter got over his feelings, then we should be willing to get over ours and share Christ with somebody. And I don't say that because I'm perfect at it. I say that because that's what we see here and I'm aiming at the same standard we all are. Amen, is that we're all fighting that battle. We're all getting to that point. Number three, the last one, and we'll be out of here. We've got to be intentional about reaching people. When we look at this, this is a passage that you could preach, preach a whole message on racism from it, right? Because Peter would have thought it would have been racism, essentially, if he would have not taken the gospel to this guy. But I think racism still is just a little part of the issue that would have been. It's a, it's a bigger thing than that, right? That's just one of the manifestations and fruitions of sin and when we don't deal with it. But we've got to be intentional about reaching people. Listen, being a church that says from stage we love people different than us, it's not enough. There's a pastor named Brian LaRitz. This is what he says. If we want to see a diverse church, if we want to see people come to know Christ, it's going to start at our dinner tables. Right? Why is that? Because... It's one thing to give lip service to it. It's one thing to invite somebody into our life. And that's why I say, listen, you can't evangelize 50 people at once. If you can, hallelujah, bring them all next week, right? But it's going to start with just one couple and inviting them into your life and just trying to spend time with one couple. And that's what's going to happen. Even in this situation, Peter, who was an apostle, it was just Cornelius and then it started exploding. But I know this, when we get obsessed with climbing our own mountains, we will fail to see the need to help people get out of their well that they're in, right? And so in a self-centered, individualistic society, we're going to look different as a church, as believers, when we're able to care about other people. And that's what's going to cause us to love people. That's what's going to cause people to want what we have. That's what's going to make Christ attractive, is when we love them well and we show them what it's like to follow Christ. 
Listen, I, I wanted to share this, and I can't, and we're going to be about two minutes longer because I can't not share this. Here's the thing. Peter was an apostle. In this chapter, we, Peter physically sees somebody get, a Gentile get saved. Five chapters later, we'll preach this in a little bit. Peter, they have a council in, or a council in Jerusalem where all the, the believers meet, and they decide in that moment that you don't have to follow Jewish customs anymore. Check this out. If you go read Galatians 2, and I want to read part of it because I think it's that powerful. Peter and apostles still struggled with this. If you think by saying, I believe in Christ, so I'm gonna, it's going to be easy to want to share with everybody, or racism is not going to be in my heart, or I'm not going to look down on people because somebody used to look down on me and I know what it feels like. Peter was an apostle, and he still struggled with it. He's the one who saw somebody speak in tongues who was a Gentile. And just a few chapters later in the Bible, just a couple books down, guess who struggled with it and got called out for it? Peter. If you go read Galatians 2, this is what it says. Paul ends up calling him out. He says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. So when some people were around, he ate with those lower class people. But then what happened? But then when they came, when the certain men from, from, from James came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, fearing the Jews. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. If we don't follow Christ with a vulnerable heart saying every sin imaginable is in my heart too, it's by the grace of God it doesn't come out, then we will end up just like Peter. Listen, default mode leads to sin. The only way we fight it is when we're intentional about pursuing Christ. And that's myself included. I do not say any of this by saying that I'm up here and I'm preaching down. I say that because it's in my own heart. I see somebody on the side of the road that I probably feel like a little better than, I've worked a little harder than, I deserve a little more. I don't deserve anymore. I deserve separation from God forever, but it's by the grace of Jesus that he saved me too. And so it's when we realize this, that we get to a place that we can begin to love people, begin to have eyes like God has, begin to see people the way God wants us to see, and that's what's going to cause us to love people the way God loves people. And my last thing I want to say is, if you struggle with that, there's one of two things. Either you need to remind yourself of the gospel lately or, or, or daily. You need to remind yourself of how sinful you are and get in the word so that it can work on our heart, myself included. The other option is, is maybe you've been at a place where you've never even done that. You've always had that attitude of I'm a little better, I deserve a little more. And you've never hit your own sin face on and said, Jesus going to the cross is not just an idea for somebody else. It needs to speak to my own heart. And I need to place faith in Christ. And then I will get a new heart and the spirit will come in me and I will begin to live like Christ. I want us to bow our heads quickly and we'll be ready to finish. I don't want this to be emotional. I don't want this to be a warm feeling or your heart beating fast or whatever. But if you've never come face to face with your sin and you want to place faith in what Christ has done for you on the cross today by understanding that all of us in here have worked in sin our whole life and it's only by the grace of Christ and what he did on the cross that you can be saved and you want to do that today for the first time, I pray that you would raise your hand. And so I'm just going to give you a few seconds. If that's anybody in here that wants to raise their hand and say, today I want to be the day I give my life to Christ completely. 
I understand my sin. I understand what Jesus did for me on the cross, and I want to place faith in him. Is that anybody in here? And God, I pray now that, God, this wouldn't be just another emotional message. God, I pray that it would be, God, your word going forth into your church. God, the people here, myself included. God, that it would challenge us. It would, God, it would grow our knowledge. It would challenge our head to go home and read and learn in our spare time. Or, God, listen to scripture on the way to work. God, but it would challenge us somehow. And God, I pray that it would seep into our heart, God, that not just so we know like Peter that um, we shouldn't look down on people, but it gets into our heart so that we then act like it. God, help us be doers and hearers of the word, not just one or the other, as James says. God, help us grow into the image of your son. God, help us be faithful believers in here. Help us challenge our own sin. Help us challenge our own selves where we need to be challenged. God, we want to be holy. We want to be loving. We want to be your representation on earth as you've called us to be. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the people here. God, I love them. I'm so thankful. God, for their hearts to be here, their hearts to grow. God, I pray you would work in their life. God, I pray that you would give them courage to want to see you work in their life so that they can share in the blessings of Christ, as Paul says. Now, there's nothing better than us living as Christ, God, so that we can be completely satisfied and then extending your glory so that we can play a part in your kingdom going forth. God, we love you. We're thankful for who you are. We're thankful for the cross and our salvation, and we love you and give you all the praise. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen. I love you guys so much. We'll see y'all next Sunday. Have a great week.